I want to talk about a new paper that came out and the paper is titled Social Sciences in Crisis. Um, that's not new. Social Sciences in Crisis on the Proposed Elimination of the Discussion Section. This, uh, this is an interesting one. I like this genre of paper. This reminds me of the other proposal, which is um, not, not, not an old one. I think we've talked about this on the show on this idea that we should limit the amount of papers that people should mm. write in a given year. It's sort of serious. It's, it, it, is, it is serious, but it's half serious, but it is so controversial. It makes you think, and it really makes you revisit what is the purpose of the things that we do in academia. A lot of the stuff that we do in academia, particularly around publishing, are historical artifacts. That's the way we used to do things a long time ago, and probably at that time it made a lot of sense. But now it may not make a lot of sense. So I like these sorts of kind of on on their face, pretty out there proposals because they make you think. And um, this particular proposal is that we should be we we should um, do away, do away with the discussion section, which is is which is <laughs> in almost any sort of paper that 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 they we're reading. But they're saying no, this will actually help, and it is one of the things, or it is contributing to the reproducibility crisis within the social sciences. So have a read of the paper. We're going to post it. I'm pretty sure it is, it is open access, or if not, there's a, there's a preprint available. But um, James, your, your, your initial thoughts on removing the discussion section Couldn't give for papers. There you go. I managed to sum it up for you. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Why? What's the, I mean... Look, let's just take the abstract, you know. We point out that discussion sections allow for an inappropriate narrativization of research that disguises actual results and enables the misstatement of true limitations. Okay, uh, I'll point out that method sections without accompanying data allow for uh, inappropriate presentation of uh, summary statistics and other data-related paper products that are not reflective of a measurement process divorced from numbers that are further upstream. Introductions, uh, introductions are motherfuckers. Uh, introductions allow for the, the wildly twisted narrative construction that allows people to arrive at any foregone conclusion that to begin a method and results section it's something that they never would have started in the first place introductions are the are the traditional masters of of the 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 ability to distort uh, a later research process and uh and, and use some very nasty retrospective logic and able to justify like future whims and silliness and don't get me fucking started on results sections results sections are so ludicrously incomplete without the accompanying underlying data set that they are very much the 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 central pillar in the ability to present something that is a at best a, 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 a reason, reasonably characterized as a distortion of an underlying process. And at this point in Dan, w- what we're pretty much left with is an abstracted data set. Now I'm being, <laughs> I'm being flippant as I feel like the, it's a bit sort of tongue in cheeky kind of thing at, at this point in time. Yes. But the idea of yeah. like, if, if we designed a paper from scratch is like, I wouldn't bother writing a paper called 
if we're going to completely change what a paper is, let's keep it all exactly the fucking same and take out the talky bit. Yeah? That's equally as radical to me Mm. as uh, let's use octopus or let's use a series of interlocking digital identifiers that are tied to data sets and annotations that allow things to be turned basically into a, a graph network of interconnected research products. Yeah, let's make a global knowledge network with local DOIs that are attached to nodes that allow you to identify uh, individual pieces of um, individual pieces of information and cite them in later nodes. I think these are equally as radical as like we've got a paper with four bits and we threw one of them out, right? Hmm. And it also, I mean. It allows for inappropriate narrativization. You know, it's the source of, well, I mean, let's change the paper completely also feels equally as radical as support editors not being chippy little pricks. Um, I like a good discussion section to write, always traditionally have, where I get to point out all the stuff I wish had happened. I feel like it demonstrates the fact that I understand stuff. Here are all the limitations of what I did. And people have complained over a period of years. Oh, stop undermining yourself. It's not undermining yourself. It's a it's a reckoning of what happened. And making other people respect that by kicking it up them feels more doable in many respects than let's throw away the discussion section. Look, I mean, I've said this before on this podcast, but... Yet another reform, again, yet another thing. You see the sort of meta-narrative of uh, everything getting better now and the fact that it's still terrible, especially in the social sciences. I don't know people who've encountered this recently. Mm. you have any idea how fucking long this has been going on now? This is like people who had babies at the beginning of the crises in the social science in the modern sense they're sending the little pricks <laughs> off to the pub they're um, undergrads now <laughs> <laughs> so uh, look dan i don't i don't want to monopolize all of the time especially considering the condition i'm in where i've listed my screen name for our video recording as a dried secretion <laughs> because that's pretty much how i look right now um but what do you, do you do you think there's something is there something novel about this that makes you go let me let me let me clarify something first actually i don't mind the fact that this was written i don't think whoever did it is is trying to have a bad time i think that it's an area that it's 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 fun and interesting and useful to be provocative instead of just sophomoric and annoying yeah and far be it from me not to support um not to support uh, other people being provocative and annoying. Um, but, you know, there's, there's, a point, there's a point past which you get the sense reading something like this that nothing is ever going to coalesce around a strategy if everyone's brightest new idea is the only thing that keeps getting published, Right. People say they. You, mm. If you say you want, people say they want reform, but continually over many, many years fail to act like they want reform. I think people want to talk about wanting reform, and I think that is the genre into which let's bin all the discussion sections ever falls for me. 
Yeah. Well, don't you sit there looking stunned and weird? Are you just you realize that you've got this paper and it's got a huge discussion section and you didn't read it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I like these papers. I like um. I think maybe we mentioned this before, but uh, this is in a philosophy philosophy journal or philosophy science journal, and philosophy papers are written different. I think on balance they're generally more readable than the average psychology paper, and that is because when they're presented. I, I was shocked when I first learned this, but at seminars for like a like a department seminar for philosophy, so, someone will someone will rock up. She'll rock up to the lectern and get out the, the pile of papers and, and read out a paper. It's not a talk; it's literally reading out a paper. And this influences how papers in philosophy are written. And I also like the fact that they're so open with potential objections. Like there's a whole section of potential objections, and they try and try and think of. Um, potential limitation. So it's um, it's it's nice in that way that that was done. But I guess I'm, I don't know whether it was a, a thing about my own subfield, but I'm not sure whether the discussion section is where people over egg what they've actually found. This is at least what I do as a peer reviewer and what I do as as an associate editor. The first one of the one of the first things that I check is are the other conclusions um, consistent with the results and. I think doing questionable research practices in order to get a significant p-value does more harm than getting a significant p-value and potentially over-interpreting it or promising the world in the discussion section. And I don't think discussion sections, it really happens. Like, I don't think, at least in my experience, that it's not the place where people are doing that. Perhaps it is the place where people are glossing over limitations. That's legit. Um, reviewers might not pick it up. Uh, people might either ignore them uh, purposely not put them in or just just no one's actually raised that. So that is a potential issue, but I don't think it's the place where people are actually mm-hmm. overhyping their results. I think I think press releases, let's ban press releases. They're, they're the ones that are doing oh, the, so, the, so the, in the, the discussion of let's kill the discussion, uh, your, your, your parallel proposal and presumably my parallel proposal should be <laughs> what, what are we, we going to ban? <laughs> So we're going to discussion <laughs> section. I mean, fair enough. Let's keep in mind the fact that I'm a dyspeptic fuck um, and say that there's a – I mean, and you read it. I mean, you could sort of see that I think there's a lack of awareness of the practicalities in the paper, but it's fine. They're discussing the, they're discussing hmm. the fact that uh, the discussion in a sense is illegitimate, so hopefully that doesn't undermine it. You want to ban the press release. <laughs> what do what do what do I get to ban? <laughs> what, what do you want to ban, James? <laughs> One thing, I mean, of course, of course, they do. They do mention that um, pre-registration has gone away, and they're not saying that um, this is the silver bullet. They're saying that this is a particular thing that can that can happen alongside other things like pre-registration. But one thing which came to mind, which which wasn't spoken about in the paper, was this this concept of machine readable hypothesis testing. This is a paper written by two former guests of the show, um, Lisa DeBrine and Daniel Larkins, who put together an R package or a, 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 an analysis, a, a pipeline in which you can pre-specify a set of hypotheses for your paper. So you say, we're going to make a number of claims or we're going to test a number of claims. These are the analysis that are going to go in. And when we put this in, um, our manuscript, when we publish it, is either going to say, um, this is this supports 
our hypothesis or does this does not support our hypothesis or this is inconclusive. So this is based on the outcome that you get from your analysis and you press, you pre-specify that. So you basically say, we do our analysis. If it is, um, if it is small, if the p-value is less than 0.05, um, this is evidence to support our hypothesis. So the actual claims and the claims that are made in the discussion are pre-specified. I think that is the gold standard of not overhyping your claims by, by I mean, and, and this is essentially what registered reports does in in more or less in that you suggest what what actually is what can how can I make a conclusion that a claim mm. is supported or that a claim is not supported or something is is inconclusive and having that at the very beginning I think is a really good way of doing that I. <laughs> And in parallel, Floating Room was another paper which evaluated how important people at different career stages saw different sections of papers. And people were like, oh, look, professors never read discussion sections. Professors go straight for the methods. Of course, of course they do. They're usually reading within their field. I almost never read discussion sections. I do if it's outside my field to kind of understand, oh, you know, what's going on here. I read introductions if it's outside my field to understand the context. If it's within my field, straight to the methods, straight to the results. Um, but one area that I do like the discussion and the trends family of journals have an actual section called suggestions for, for future research. A lot of people actually include this into the discussion section, but they have like a special text box, which has like eight like specific research questions based on the proposal that they're doing. And I really like that for potentially, you know, doing future research. So there is really a place for discussion sections. Um, and I, I think there are other sections which are doing much more damage than that. And maybe it's my own personal experience, but I don't think people tend to be over-egging claims, but I do get that people are definitely glossing over potential mm. uh, potential. Well, here's, a, here's a, a, a counterpoint. If we taught everyone to correctly read a method and results section, and it wouldn't matter what you said in a discussion section, if it was if anything was missing, yes? If you're capable of interpreting the paper, like I said, as you just said, if it's in Bay Area, I go straight there. Yeah, and uh, mm. I mean, one final one final thing before we get what I'm going to ban. <laughs> uh, one one, oh, okay. one, one oh, final thing. This one. I mean, the whole idea that uh, well, people can't use it responsibly, so let's take it away from them. There is a little intervening matter called uh, subject matter experts in peer review, and. I think, do you think that a peer reviewer can detect bias in a discussion section? Yes. You said yes with the tone of voice that you'd use uh, if your daughter had asked you if you'd ever seen a blue thing. You're like, obviously, I've seen <laughs> a blue thing, you little thick okay. job. How dare okay. you? In most, in most, I mean, you're biased within your own fields. In most cases, yes, but of course, these things can these things can slip through. Well, I don't know. Look, it's you don't think so? No, I don't. No, no, I don't. I don't agree or disagree with you. I don't. I don't know. It's such a savagely general kind of claim that I I'm not sure I have an answer to it. Um, I'm going to sit over here reserving judgment, like I'm writing a responsible discussion section. Here's here's what here's what here's my radical proposal, and it's it's easier to achieve than all these other ones, and it's very straightforward. If you have code and data, you get to have a paper, and we have to come up with a different name for other things that don't have code and data, where they go in a lower section and are released rather than published 
and you have to click like four separate boxes to be able to get through to, through to them. If it, if it doesn't, doesn't have, have code if it data. doesn't have code and data, it's not a paper anymore. So I'm banning I'm banning regular papers from being papers and putting them down in a, sec- a separate section okay. called preliminary manuscript sub paper. Yeah, <laughs> okay, and all okay. the papers, the the papers where the actual products of the research that other people would want to see that are super valuable, the papers are at the the top. You go to the journal's page, and there are three papers this month. And there's seven manuscripts, but we're going to hide them down the bottom and show you the the actual papers themselves. Uh, this has come all back to me recently because uh, some of you may know, and the reason for our um, reason for our hiatus is that I have I have a new job, um, and in my new job I'm back writing grants, which is neither good nor bad, um, but it's certainly hard, and. That makes it very difficult to schedule things because um, when you're writing grants full on, uh, it it sucks a lot. Um, but you know, it's like everything else. It's like prison. You do your time, and then you you've paid your debts to society, and then you split. Uh, and then there's probably no reward. <laughs> but in in the service of looking around for things that are in the public public domain. Especially now that uh, a company that I've joined, well, I am the head of research. We are working on cardiology products, and so looking for open resources that are in this area of things that can be used to test algorithms, poke around with hypotheses, and it's just infinitely, infinitely, infinitely quicker to take something that's vaguely related and to use that. And Bear in mind, all of these resources at some point in time have been bought and paid for by a government. That's well over 90% of them. They're not from a private company. I mean, a private company built the intermediate hardware or software used to collect them, but that's irrelevant here. That was bought. And a government gave a researchers a bunch of money, and the researchers used that money to make a data set. And the amount of them that are available for us to build a company uh, make a really good product, have people buy it for money and then pay heaps of tax, which is how the government eventually gets paid back for giving all the researchers uh, all that money in the first place. The amount of things that should be available somewhere that should be a community resource is fucking pathetic because we've just never had this. I mean, shit, I've been banging on about open data for years and obviously I've used... And, and you, want, you want to know the thing that really sucks? There's better resources in this area because it's a constrained problem than there are in other areas because we have PhysioNet. And PhysioNet is a, let me say, 25-year-long effort to record, curate, store, and disseminate largely ECG, but also other physiological database run by some total OGs who are not in the formal open science movement, but very definitely share its aims. So here's the thing, Dan, those data sets that people have been given away, and they're given away from all over the world. There's a great one from China. There's a great one from Russia. Um, there's a particular, there's a lot of particularly relevant ones from here. There's some from the UK. Uh, there's one from Belgium, I believe. Um, they're all, all over all over, yeah? The amount of FDA applications and new 
drugs, uh, new approaches to measurement, new devices, new pieces of healthcare that are built out of having those public resources available after they were built with public funds is substantial. I mean, yeah, these things, are, they're coming through companies in the intermediate sense, yes, but I'm only talking about that because that's proximal to me. Think about all the other researchers, even researchers from that same fucking country. Shit, maybe there should be a rule where if you're, you know, Dutch and some and the Dutch government lets a researcher buy something else, you should be able to write to them. It should be, it should be like Finnish auto racing where you should be able to buy someone's car for exactly the same amount of money, no matter how good or bad it is. You don't know about Finnish folk racing? Okay, so Finnish people love auto racing because they're dope, right? And they have this local rally car kind of culture where everyone, like a a grandma and a teenage boy and a fucking middle-aged dude who looked like a python that swallowed a bull cock as they're all pushing themselves into leathers and they're they're (laughs) rallying shitty old cars, yeah? And they had this rule where- you can go up to any person in any car and it's some amount of money, like 2,000 euros or something like that. And you can say, I want to buy your car for this much money and they have to sell it to you. And what this does is it stops anyone from tricking their car out. You turn up with a 10,000 euro car, someone will go, oh, that's pretty bullshit. I'm going to buy it off you for 2,000 because you've raced it here. You've signed a piece of paper that says I'm allowed to. Maybe we need Finnish auto racing rules for like data within countries. I think it's it's completely insane from the government's from the government's perspective. It's completely I can understand there being some kind of small moratorium or a thing not actually being finished or something, something, something. I understand the desire to I understand the desire to do that. To to keep your own little resources and your own little huddled fucking thing. Um but it's so it's so incredibly passe now. And I've always complained about open code and open data. And now I'm going to complain about it more because the consequences of it are now directly directly affecting the ability of me to do everything I want with my work. But I don't think it's me specific or I wouldn't bother complaining about it. I would just keep stay here and complain to my cats. I wouldn't bother with a fucking podcast. Yeah. <laughs> People are out there building resources with everyone's money that should be for everyone. Yeah? And I think this applies to me as well. Like, if the government gave us, gave my company now, a bunch of money, and we use that money to take a bunch of data, and that data was appropriately collated and de-identified, then the government should compel me to give it away. I mean, in reality, a lot of people who, who would agree with a sentence like that, they might not do it. Why? Because it's fucking hard. It's just another thing to do to curate things, be a member of a community, etc. because we don't have a social standard that's involved. It's not just something that you do, you know? It'd be easier if it was like peer review and like there's no formal requirement to do it, but it just became part of the culture. I would like that to be part of the- Yeah. I would like that to be part of the culture. Um, I would also like people to get over, I mean, if everything's just so grasping and acquisitive all the time, 
get over the fact that a lot of the time there isn't anything else you're ever going to do with that data set. You're just going to let it go moldy on a shelf and someone else having something that they can do with it doesn't detract from things that you can have. Write a fucking paper for nature scientific data, stick it all in a place where it can be cited and then turn it into an asset for yourself. Yeah. I really I mean I have said a lot of horrible shit about the about NRG, the Nature Research Group, over a lot of periods of years. But the journal Nature Scientific Data is clearly a progressive idea and it is clearly working. And there are papers in that motherfucker that are cited. And the reason they're cited is because there was a great big huge demand. And that's every time you have a citation to something like that, unless it's like a flyby citation, it's a very real citation, Dan. It's like we used this data centrally to solve a problem. So we're going to cite this fuck four times in the text and we're going to use its central resources and we're going to talk about what they may or may not have found or the reason that they collected it in the first place and what data we wish they had. Yeah? These are these are good, solid meaty fucking directly addressing none of this none of this sort of like a you know where, where you see the superscript that it's like nine hyphen 15 you're like well what the what yeah the fuck yeah happened there <laughs> you know that's that's seven separate manuscripts are they all relevant has anyone ever read them it's it's the opposite of that. It's a good solid citation. Maybe maybe that's something to run by the site guys. Make a there should be a separate a citations and meaty citations. Yeah, nature scientific data accrues <laughs> they, they meaty citations. They. I wonder why though this format is not more popular from different publishers because that is. I know that other publishers are encouraging data deposition, but. This journal format seems to be very popular, yet that is the only journal I can think of that, that, that's doing this. It's getting a lot of citations, getting a lot of reads, and it is useful, but I don't know. Like, why uh, is this I not more common? I think because there are – not all data is created equal, and there are things that have inherent measurement characteristics that are interesting, that continue to be interesting over time. And then there are other things that don't. So, like, you've got a whole bunch of, like, high-level aggregated survey data and what white children in Michigan think of some shit. It's unless someone's going to do some massive omnibus collection and stick all that together and then Veramax it or whatever, um, ICA it, PCA it, and then turn it into some kind of factor analysis, your data is pretty much fucking useless to anyone else. But, I mean, the reason that we like it are people in physiological signals. It was like, oh, yeah, we've got 220 24-hour high-quality EEGs that we recorded for some study. That is a treasure trove of utility for all sorts of other things. Yeah? It's because, Hmm. like, different things have different utilities, man. Like, we have 10,000 10-second ECG strips. 2,000 from people with cardiac conditions, 8,000 from people without cardiac conditions. And here they are. And here are, the, and here are the diagnoses of the people who are involved. Those things have massive external utility. And some things have very little external utility. But, I mean, there's a difference between data as a resource for other people and data as a responsible component of the communication of your results. So, if your paper's on some 
social science bullshit, fucking social psychology nonsense about the nudges of the feelings of the socials or the personalities of the something or the fucking whatever. And it's just some survey result garbage that doesn't really mean anything. And you listen to everything I just said and you go, wow, he's being really cruel. What I'm saying is, even if it is a paper that meets that definition and not yours, if you're listening to this, yours is great. It's everyone else that's um, it's everyone else that's the problem. <laughs> um, if you've got that, it's there is an element to which it makes it a responsible set of observations that other people can verify it if accompanies the paper. Yeah. And it doesn't mm. have to have, you shouldn't be under any pressure for it to have external utility. What I'm saying is that a lot of, especially when it comes to the more biological you get, the more medical you get, the more value there are in the inherent measurements a lot of the time, if you're talking about the raw data. And if governments are buying those, then they, they should remain uh, a property of the commons. Yeah. I think it's hard to also predict at the time. That is a very good point, Daniel. Well. You yeah, how would, how, sometimes, honestly, how would you know? Um, you know, what, what, what remains hidden within it? I mean, if it's a sufficiently big data set, um, you, can't, you can't think of anything. Maybe, maybe there's something you never even thought of. I'll give you an example. Um, skin, uh, the, the directly measured um, s- sympathetic nerve activity method that people came up with a couple of years ago where you use a super mega high quality ECG um, and you realize that there's a skin sympathetic activity you can measure straight through the skin with regular electrodes which no one ever knew was there before I mean we we know what, what would the oscillatory signal would be but it's just something that no one ever measured and they figured out how to get it out of a, a high quality ECG I mean a really fast sampling ECG like one of the hospitals 300 I'm talking a minimum of 4,000 right uh, samples per second. And they said, oh, this is a thing. And I'm like, oh, I have a bunch of those ECGs. And I went back to some shit that was three years old and found the signal that they were talking about. Yeah. Really? How well, cool is that? I mean, that's, 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 awesome. that's exactly the point. It's the, 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 this hidden depth shit, exactly as you said. Not really sure. I mean, it's not, it wasn't anything I could publish. I didn't have enough stuff. It was like, I also found the thing you found is not interesting to anyone. <laughs> I mean, I, maybe I should have blogged about it or something, but that was during, you know, you, everyone understands that you run out of time during a PhD, so I fucking did. I don't think enough people know about this format of just submitting your data. You can either do it through journals or you can do it as a NODA yeah. or you can do it in OSF. We tend to think that people are very hesitant about sharing that data, but I had a really good experience. Um, I have a, one of my PhD students doing a meta-analysis. She posted a protocol. We, have, we, haven't even, we hadn't even actively gone out there going, oh, you know, if you have data, send it to us. Um, somebody had obviously popped up in their Google Scholar alerts and they sent an email to us going, we have that data. We got troves, we got troves of it. We never got round to actually um, publishing it, but um, whatever you need, we can send to you. One, that's fantastic, but two, it made me think, like, this, people like this are obviously very keen to share their data, and it's, um, uh, maybe I think I'm just answering my own question, but it's obviously, data, data curation takes a long time, and what makes sense to you with your data set, um, you can't just, it's not super useful unless the variables are very obvious of just posting it on Zenodo. It's not going to help that many people. So, I guess... 
yes, data curation does take some time, but depending on the complexity of your data set, but for, for some data sets, you know, 10 variables doesn't take too long, write up a code book and these things can be posted. So I don't think it's more that people do not want to share their data, the stuff that's lying around. It's more that people don't realize that these things can be valuable. You can post it, you can attach a DOI and that can be really valuable. Not Of course, for papers for analysis, but for teaching, there's so many times I've used open data, not for anything research in particular, but just, just as a demonstration thing. And it's really, really useful. Hmm. You know, sometimes I forget you know stuff, Dan. That was sensible, sensible <laughs> every, and informative. Every now and then. A, 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 clock, a, a clock's yeah, right twice Maybe this should be called... <laughs> it's James. It's because we're, we're recording earlier. Yeah. You have it. I know. I'm awake. You tendency to get a little bit sort of flanneled later in the day. So now it's early for me and it's uh, prime brain hours for you. Maybe there's a balance that's being redressed here and uh, people will think I'm less of a cock when they meet me. When did we start recording? Like when we first, first started, was it nights or was it uh, after? It I was very late for you a lot of the time and it was um, the afternoon for me. No, but I, I remember you... you I remember there was a few times that you were, you were actually in your lab. This is when you were still in academia. You were holed up in some 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 Faraday cage almost somewhere. So you, unless you were in the uh, office late, not really. Um, with uh, with that, okay. Um, okay. I'm never much good at presenteeism. A lot of the time, I'm happy to leave at the time and then go home and do the thing. So you know, you, you're going to see the output. I'm not interested in showing you the process. I'm not a fucking performing seal. If you want to watch me work, you can come around and sit <laughs> on my window. You know, your little legs dangling off the shelf and fucking, uh, oh, Dan, I'm really losing it, man. Oh, this, is, this is the clarion call of another cup of coffee, bro. Shall we yeah. wrap up then? Yeah, and I love this, the, the fact. I love the this, fact we're back episode. after this hiatus, which is a hundred percent my fault this time, and I apologize to everyone listening. We're back after a hiatus, and we've got specific, interesting topics that you have chosen and inflicted on me. And what ends up happening is I am yet again complaining about open culture <laughs> because. I'm too fucked up to do anything else right now. Happily, all of these complaints are on an old school reel-to-reel tape recorder that sits just inside the the kind of intracranial space next to the ear on my right-hand side. And at any point in time, looking at you and your fucking contemporary glasses and your nice tan, at some point in time, that reel-to-reel can be tripped and it all just starts spilling out yet again to annoy people. I must say, you're looking much more Quintana-y these days. You know? You're looking a little bit more sun-kissed. You've got the fucking money heist glasses going on. Everything is trimmed down. You're, you're hurtling towards middle age, looking very classy indeed. It, I, I'm hurtling towards middle age. And uh, I don't, I don't. Well, bro, I'm hurtling everywhere. Um, <laughs> it's just all hurtle at this point. <laughs> just all hurt. <laughs> <laughs> it's got hurt in it. <laughs> yeah. 
thanks thanks for listening everyone we'll be back again um hopefully recording at the at, at the same time very soon so it's not going to be as long a hiatus yeah we all. do go on Seems with later. it bye-bye